Welcome, everyone, to our latest edition of BAMS Radio, uh, back on our usual Sunday. I'm your host, Drew DeArmond, along with my two cohorts, producer extraordinaire and co-host Thomas Watts from the port city of Mobile. And Thomas, of course, uh, is very happy right now. He uh, nearly hit it on the head uh, with uh, how with his prediction for the Alabama-Georgia game. And, of course, our good friend William Redfish Barger from 89 to 93, a national champion with the Crimson Tide. And as a former offensive lineman, I'm sure he really enjoyed the return of joyless murder ball as Alabama basically rammed it up Georgia's ass the entire second half, especially the fourth quarter, in physically manhandling the dogs who were thought to have a steel curtain-level defense from the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers if you listen to the media and the Georgia fans. But once again, Nick Saban's ownership continues of Kirby Smart. He is now 3-0. and And it came down to basically Alabama having a dynamic offense, which is, in my, in my opinion, along with Clemson, the best in college football. I think Alabama has to have the edge right now because of their schedule. But Georgia, a few quarterback issues, and Alabama being able to make some defensive adjustments in the second half and shut the dogs out. And they went going away 41 41- to 24 and we'll bring William Redfish Barger back into the conversation. William, as an old offensive lineman, you had to really enjoy that second half, especially that fourth quarter. Alabama holding the ball for a remarkable 11 minutes plus in the final period. No, it was it was great to see. I mean, I, I got to say one thing that did surprise me. I thought uh, the quarterback for Georgia performed better than I was expecting him to, um, especially in the first mm-hmm. half. But um, you know, I, I I felt like Alabama would win this game comfortably, but um, not, not not to the level that the fourth the second half allowed. Um, you know, another 400 yard performance by Mac Jones. Uh, the offensive line got it going really good in the second half with the uh, the run game. Um, Will Reichert hit him a nice nice field goal, uh, lengthy field goal, and uh, you know just not a lot of things to complain about. I mean. Uh, you know, I, I, Georgia had a little bit more success throwing the football than I expected them to. But um, Chris Allen, I think, continues to get better each week, starting to, you know, flash more and more. Um, you know, so I, I think it was a good team victory. William, I wanted to ask you about the uh, the Will Reichard field goal. To me, I haven't seen it talked about a lot in the hours after the game, but I felt like it was a huge momentum shift for Alabama. First of all, with the way they handled the clock and, and being able to understand the new rule, you have to have three seconds left or more to be able to spike it and, uh, and, and have one more play. And we all know it's well-documented, the history of, of the, with kickers at Alabama under Nick Saban. But Will Reichard, I, I, I felt like last year it wasn't talked about enough what his loss meant to that football team. I think he was getting ready to get comfortable as the kicker as a true freshman. But – him busting that 52-yarder at the end of the half, I thought gave Alabama a huge shot in the arm, especially considering that Georgia was getting the ball coming out of the locker room. Yeah, and, and you know, you saw Georgia, you know, make some explosive plays of their own in the first half, and I thought that was a great way to, uh, you know, end the second quarter. Excuse me, the second quarter and go into uh, the locker room was a, you know, kind of a game changer type play from a position that Alabama fans haven't been accustomed, you know, seeing on a consistent basis at the field goal position for quite some time. Yeah, I mean, it was 52 yards. I mean, uh, it was – and, and, I, and I'll be honest, there was 
I was watching it and we were having, uh, I was at a, a friend of mine's uh, on Green Mountain and it was a large party there. And most of them were not optimistic that he would make the kick. I actually had a feeling he would because as you remember, uh, in the first scrimmage of the, the uh, this version of fall camp this year, he made 53 and 52 yarders. So I knew he had it in him. Uh, I just felt like if they would give him the protection he needed, that he would have a shot to do it. And I think it's going to give him a lot of confidence going forward. And Nick Saban, uh, confidence in him to give him those opportunities, probably at least from 55 yards on in, feeling confident uh, that Will Reichert can do it. So he, uh, it was great to see the former Hoover standout do that and give Alabama a shot in the arm. I know there were some people that were, uh, you know, uh, a little bit critical of the punting under Sam Johnson. I thought he did a good job punting Georgia back inside the 20. Now, when he had, you know, some when he had a longer field in front of him, it was a little bit more of a struggle. We'll see if he if he can get more consistent. But I thought overall, special teams was again solid for Alabama. I know the kickoff coverage at times was difficult, uh, but Georgia's got some athletes of their own. They didn't give up any points via special teams uh, as far as. Uh, like via the uh, the kick return, so uh, they were a lot. They they did give up. A, you know, Georgia kicked one long field goal, but missed one in the second half to ensure they were shut out. So I thought Alabama basically won the special teams battle at home, uh, which is always big in a in a, in a, in a game like that. Uh, they had one big penalty that negated a uh, you know a, a nice punt return from Jalen Waddle because. Scott Cochran and Kirby Smart stupidly punted to him. I still can't believe they did it. Uh, but again, I thought Alabama was pretty solid in that category. And again, but and defensively, I know there was a lot of consternation at halftime. They struggled a little bit, as William has already pointed out uh, in the first half. Uh, you know, we saw uh, Stetson Bennett throw for you know the majority of his yards in the game. He had a big second quarter. But what they did, and they got to give Todd Monken credit, we wondered what, if they would look at the film of Ole Miss and kind of emulate some of that stuff. They did. They didn't do much up-tempo, but they certainly involved James Cook in the passing game. They caught Alabama in a matchup. Christian Harris was on him in the slot. That didn't go well for Alabama. It was Georgia's biggest play of the game offensively, about a 57-yard touchdown pass. Uh, and then you saw – uh, you know, and catch four passes for 101 yards, and they involved their tight end some too. So, uh, but I, I think Alabama finally did adjust at halftime, and I think they started getting after Georgia a little bit. But uh, William, what were your thoughts defensively on Alabama in the first half? No, I mean I'd echo exactly what you said. I think that uh, you know some adjustments were made at halftime for a change. And, uh, you know, they got better and tightened things up in the second half. And, I, 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 I you know, you're not going to hear me complain a whole lot about that. Um, you know, I, I think that there were adjustments made, and, and they did a much better job, um, you know, of tackling in the second half. The, the, you know, the communication looked crisper. Um, you know, I, I just think it was, a, 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 you know, an interesting game all the way around, I mean, from – you know, Coach Saban making a Donald Trump-esque return from COVID-19 to, um, you know, a, a limited, but I thought a, a very end-of-the-game crowd at Bryant-Denny Stadium for, for a night game. Um, you know, and I think Alabama performed well, um, you know, in all phases in different times in the game. Obviously, I think the, the offense is, you know, probably going to continue to be the, the storyline with this 2020 Alabama team. They've just got so many playmakers. You know, such a great offensive line. Um, 
and, and you know, they I think they can pick their poison. I mean, they can, you know, throw the ball, you know, on the perimeter and let Jalen Waddle and the rest of those wide receivers make plays after they catch it. They can throw the deep ball, and they can line up and, and run the ball down your throats if they want to. So, um, yeah, I think you're seeing, um, you know, a, a guy that I think has always kind of had a, a better reputation as a quarterback developer versus a play caller. I think you're start, starting to see some growth out of Steve Sarkeesian too. Well, and I wanted to ask you about that offensive line. I mean, I, I, I thought, considering the athleticism and the depth and, uh, you know, the talent of that Georgia defense, certainly Mac Jones felt some pressure and took some hits. And, uh, you know, the second half, I think he, he was uh, cleaner than he was in the first. But uh, I, I, was, I wasn't expecting him uh, to, to escape the game, uh, you know, uh, as far as with a clean uniform. I knew that he was going to take some licks. I wanted to see how he responded to that. But uh, how, how did you think as a unit? Just what were some of the things that you noticed that really impressed you uh, about that offensive line? I, personally, I thought it was number 55, Emil Echior's best game in an Alabama uniform. Yeah, I mean, I, th- this offensive line is going to be one of the country's best throughout the remainder of the season. But to me, I think the highlight of, of the whole offensive night for me was exactly what you just said. Um, was seeing Mac Jones get rocked several times and, you know, get right back up and continue to make plays. Um, you know, to me, I think that's a, just another step forward in his growth. Um, it, you know, it's kind of unfolding each week before our eyes, or, or at least my eyes. I don't ever watch him except on TV. Um but, again, I, I just think there's, you know, just a good team win and, you know, a, a game that, um, you know, everybody expected to be decided by a touchdown or less. You know, in the second half, it was a blowout. It was, no doubt about it. And uh, I think uh, Landon Dickerson played exceptionally well at center. We saw no snap issues uh, from him. He's He's been nominated for the Remington Award for the best center in America. And that's pretty significant considering he never played center until he got to Alabama. Uh, so, uh, big credit to Kyle Flood. Kyle Flood's doing an outstanding job, I think, William, with this offensive line. I, I thought it was big to retain him for a, a second season. I know he and Steve Sarkeesian worked together with the Atlanta Falcons, uh, and people don't give him enough credit. I know he didn't win a lot of games at Rutgers as a head coach, but he was there in, during Greg Schiano's first time, and they had some really good football teams, especially when you consider the history of that program. And I think Kyle Flood – is doing an outstanding job, and we know the kind of recruiting class they're about to bring in O-line-wise, William. So the offensive line should be a strength for many years to come. No, I think that's a great point that you bring out, you know, attributing um, Landon Dickerson's progress and success as a player to, to Kyle Flood because I certainly wasn't blown away with him, you know, as a player when he was at Florida State. You know, maybe it's a product of better coaching, uh, better strength and conditioning program. I don't know what it is, but but the young man has really skyrocketed um, as a player in his you know first season and a half in Tuscaloosa, and uh, yeah, it just goes to show you um, how, how you know critical it is to get a player at his best position. He, he struggled quite a bit playing right tackle at Florida State, um, but since becoming a full-time you know interior guy at center and offensive guard, there's been very few struggles. Uh, you're right. Very few at all. And I mean, I thought Evan Neal and Alex Leatherwood, they, you know, Leatherwood got beat early on the first play of the game, but uh, certainly uh, I, and that, and that, you know, a lot of the Georgia fans are complaining about some of the officiating and uh, you know, David Pollock, who's basically a, 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 he's still a Georgia homer to me. 
uh, even though he's on college game day. He, I know he uh, he picked Alabama, but I I almost think it was reverse psychology. But uh, he, he was complaining about the interference call uh, that uh, Al- went in Alabama's favor, which to me looked like a good call. It was uh, face guarding, uh, you know, with, uh, with Devontae Smith in that second half. I mean, uh, Tyreek Stevenson wanted no part of him and uh, basically owned him the whole game. And, and then, you know, then I think Stokes was on him at that point in time. But I tell you what, I, I know I, I, that's one of the things that I called. I, I felt like Devontae Smith-William was going to play a great game and going to show up. The guy's a clutch player, man. He always shows up in the biggest games. That last touchdown was a beautiful throw from Mack, but what great body control and footwork by the great Devontae Smith. Basically, I, and, and this is uh, no disrespect to his, his, uh, his, the, uh, the young man I'm comparing him to, but I, I think he's basically a souped-up version, a better version of Kevin Norwood, who was an underrated player at Alabama, always a clutch guy, but Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle is so electric and so explosive, and Devontae's had to share the stage with Jerry Judy and Ruggs and and, and uh, Waddle. But I'm not sure people they need to start understanding how good number six really is. Yeah, and not not just Devonta. I mean, I think all three of those guys, um, Waddle, Smith, and Mechie, um, you know, do great things every week. It's a great great wide receiver unit. Um, you know, I, I think it. It, it kind of helps to have that because I don't think you don't see that, you know, Rob Gronkowski at tight end for, for Alabama. There's just not one of those guys there. Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, they continue to utilize, you know, Najee Harris in the passing game, which I love. And, uh, you know, he's a guy that I think has really stepped up his game. You can see him. He's become more of a, a leader. Um, you know, I, I don't want him grinding his cleats on, on Jalen Waddle's feet anymore. Um, <laughs> But but he uh, he's really grown a lot as a player. I mean, you can tell that he's gotten a, you know a step quicker, and um, you know that the game means a lot to him. And you know you, you could make a long list of people on that Alabama offense that are making themselves some money right now. Oh, you really could. There's no doubt about it. Uh, I think there's a lot of them having career years. And and I was happy for Miller Forrestall, William. I thought he had a pretty solid game. I know he got a, a holding penalty. Uh, that negated a, long, a, a, a nice run from Najee. But he showed a lot of toughness. He got bent backwards first play of the game. He's had some tough injury luck in his uh, career, you know, with the University of Alabama. So for him to make it back in the first half and play a role in the game, especially considering we didn't know until kickoff that Carl Tucker was going to miss the game due to a pulled hamstring from last week, the graduate transfer blocking tight end. He and Miller have received most of the playing time. So, we saw our first extended look at Major Tennyson. Uh, they continued to use Kendall Randolph, a little bit of Cameron Law, too. But I thought it was big for the senior forest all to get back out there. Yeah, it was. Because that looked pretty nasty um, when, when he got rolled up from behind. So, um, especially when you have somebody like him that's had, you know, injury issues in the past, you always kind of hold your breath when you see one of those. Um, but, again, you know, there, there's – I think, you know, on the other side of the football – um, you know, I know there's still going to be some people complaining, but look, you know, if you believe everything that you read, I mean, Georgia's got some good players on both sides of the football. Those, you know, those edge rushers that they have, and they've got three or four of them. Um, it's probably Alabama's not going to see edge rushers like that the rest of the year. Um, so, you know, for, for Leatherwood and, and, you know, Neil to, you know, give, give up some pressures and some sacks, that's, that's to be expected. Um, but again, I just think that, uh, you know, 
when you know 45 plus points is the norm um especially at a program like alabama that that uh you know probably put the dust in three yards of a cloud of dust offense for so long it's, it's really something special to watch it really is and your thoughts i mean i know we talked a little bit about the offensive line you just mentioned Najee harris and the fact in your mind that he looks quicker and and uh, it looks like he's getting more and more comfortable uh, in, in, as the featured back, you know, for the second straight year for Alabama. You know, we read all week and heard all week from media experts that Alabama was not going to be able to run the football in this Georgia front seven. That, uh, you know, I, I, I know Brandon Boykin of ESPN, who, shocker, is a Georgia graduate. But he said that, you know, that, that he felt like Alabama would get manhandled up front and would not be able to run the football. They held Tennessee to a yard rushing. Uh, the week before, and Tennessee's got a pretty good offensive line, and Eric Gray's had a yeah, nice year at, uh, at running back, but they did a good job of holding him down, uh, holding, and then holding Gray down and that running attack, especially in the second half. But uh, I thought Alabama, I, I thought Steve Sarkeesian stayed patient with it. They, you know, they, they didn't pop a lot of big runs. They had a 17-yard run early from Najee and a couple others that he popped a little bit, but it was mostly just three, four, and five-yard runs but I thought they did a nice job of staying patient with the run, William, and they end up rushing for 147 as a group, but that's counting losses in there, the sack rule, which I don't understand. But Najee Harris, though, 31 carries for 152 yards and a touchdown I, and, uh, and also was a factor as a receiver. I could, I could you know, say – I know he, he had a huge game against Ole Miss, but considering the opponent, might have been the best game of his career. Yeah, and, and, you know, I'm starting to wonder, um, especially when you see that, that rushing attempt count for Najee, um, you know, why it just seems to be a little bit slow with, with trying to get that third back involved in the offense. Um, you know, that's something that we've kind of always seen in the past. And for the most part, you know, it's, it's at least until the games are in hand, which <laughs> is pretty much been by the third quarter all year long, um, except for maybe Ole Miss. Um, you just really haven't seen that emergence of that third back. And uh, that's kind of something that I want to see, you know, kind of start to develop over the second half of the season. Yeah, we'll see if that happens. I mean, if they just start trusting Trey Sanders. But I will say this about Najee. He seems to hold up really well, kind of like Derrick Henry. You don't – they don't make them like those guys a lot uh, where they can hold up physically. But Najee seems to be a guy that really takes care of his body. And, you know, I, I never really thought he was wearing down last night. He kind of seemed like he was enjoying the fact of pounding on those Georgia defenders, especially late in the game when Alabama was able to basically just shove it down their throat and run the clock out, which to me was the most satisfying part of the game because I thought Georgia smelled blood in the water. They were going to come in and try to punk Alabama and thought they could run the ball on Alabama all night. Didn't think Alabama could run the ball on them. They're certainly not used to being pushed around like that, and they were. And uh, I just, I, you know, I, I was, I was really uh, pleased with the offensive line and Najee. Brian Robinson got some touches. He never popped anything, but he had a couple of solid runs in there. Uh, but not, it was basically Najee's night. And you know, I, I think, you know, he's a guy. We, you, you mentioned helping yourself in the draft. Uh, certainly, with a performance like he had against Ole Miss, and then what we saw this past week. Uh, last night against Georgia in at, in Tuscaloosa uh, against the you know the best defense in America according to the experts uh, from Athens. I mean, that, I think that's going to help Najee in the eyes of the pro scouts. 
No, absolutely. And, and, you know, even though they're kind of have different styles, they certainly both have big bodies. I think that's a fair comparison, especially when, when you look at how both Derek and Najee seem to get better as the fourth quarter wears on. And, uh, you know, we, we all remember those games, um, you know, Derek's last year when, when he would just absolutely wear those people out. And uh, you're starting to see more and more of that from Najee as well. You really are. There's no doubt about it. And, William, I know uh, you were very fortunate in your tied career. I know you've got to go here in a few minutes, but uh, you played in some outstanding games in the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry. And uh, During your time with the Capstone, Alabama was dominant over Tennessee. They're certainly in the, in the midst of a 13-game winning streak right now, uh, and everybody's, you know, super excited about this game coming up, I some Tennessee fans might not be after the disaster of yesterday, which to me, I, I will freely admit, I have no love for Tennessee. I, I, I've always been a Pruitt guy, but I mean, certainly, and, and I, and, but I, it's hard for me to root for Tennessee at any time. And it was probably my most satisfying uh, result like yesterday, besides Alabama destroying Georgia and mudholing them was seeing Kentucky mudhole Tennessee. Cause I basically called it this summer. Now, uh, it looked really shaky earlier this season, but still a very surprising result because it looked like Tennessee was improved. They even led Georgia at halftime before having a bad second half. But your thoughts uh, on the Alabama matching up with Tennessee? Alabama 17-point favorite early in this week so far against the Vols. Yeah, I mean, I think that'll all depend on, you know, which team shows up. I mean, is it the team that you saw yesterday or is it the team that, um, you know, you saw in the first couple games of the year. Um, you know, I, I think they've got a good offensive line. Um, like you said, I think Eric Gray's a good SEC running back. I think they're still, you know, limited at the quarterback position. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, probably not going to take that next step as a program until they can get more consistent play, um, you know, from the quarterback position. But, you know, um, I, you know, this this has a chance to be ugly. I mean, I think we're probably going to get – Tennessee's best game, especially after what happened to them yesterday. Um, but, I, you know, I still think their best game, you know, might be a, you know, another one of these, you know, 20 plus point um, blowouts. Well, and it, before we let you go, my only worry for Alabama is, uh, and it's a small one, in years past, because this Alabama Georgia game kind of reminded me of some of those matchups with LSU and Les Miles had them rolling, and Alabama would still handle the Tigers. You worry, to, and of course, there's still so much football to be played now that the schedule has, you know, been kind of changed around. Uh, Alabama still got six regular season games remaining, but you worry about them staying focused and and not being satisfied and and and, and thinking the season in, in effect is just waiting for the college football playoff to come along because you still got to get better. They still got to improve on defense, especially and and keep these guys healthy and hungry offensively, but. Uh, to me, I just that's the only small worry you've got is you don't you want you hope the leadership internally is good enough to where Alabama, you know, prepares like they should and uh, takes care of Tennessee and doesn't let them kind of hang around because the balls have done that in the past and, and given Alabama a scare. Yeah, they did it last year. Um, it's funny when, when you mentioned the college football playoff, I just literally um, spit my Diet Coke out this afternoon when I was driving down the road and um, heard that Notre Dame was now the number three ranked team in the country. Do you have any idea what <laughs> Alabama or Clemson would do to Notre Dame in the college football playoffs? Uh, well, we'll find out with Clemson and Notre Dame in the regular season. But, yeah, I mean, 
hey, think about this, William. Until, uh, you know, very late last night, North Carolina was the number five team in America. And look what Florida State did to them. And Florida State, yeah, that's true. To, to put it mildly, has been struggling. And, you know, mm-hmm. people, some were wondering if they would even win an ACC game. And now they beat the uh, North Carolina Tar Heels 31-28 to after trailing Jacksonville State 14 to nothing. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago. so. It, but what I will say this, and this is why Alabama has to be ready. This season, unlike any other, because there's not directional opponents, there's no late, true layups except for probably Vanderbilt in this league, you've got to be ready each and every week. It's, it's really one of those things where you have to kind of erase, you know, uh, from your memory how you played the week before. Because even though they lost, a lot of people thought Ole Miss might run the table going forward or at least, you know, have a chance to win every game. And then look what Arkansas does to them yesterday. You see six interceptions from Matt Corral. Yeah, I mean, I got to admit in a, in a you know, kind of underspoken, sneaky way, I, I got to admit I'm impressed with what uh, Sam Pittman has done at Arkansas. Now we got to, you know, wait and see what the end result looks like in December. But um, he's already beaten two teams I didn't think he was going to win and, and uh, probably should have beaten Auburn. So you got to take your hat off to what he's been able to do in year one over there. Yeah, I mean, when you think about losing 20 straight in the SEC and it was their first home SEC win since 2016, I mean, he's done a remarkable job. Barry Odom, outstanding D.C., not a very good head coach, but we've seen that with a lot of guys. But he's an outstanding defensive coordinator. He's turned around that hog defense. John Chavis, that was a train wreck last year. And then offensively, I've never been a Philippi Franks guy, but they're getting some production out of him. They're able to run the football, and they just look like a well-coached group. Uh, so that's yeah, just really – uh, that, he would have to be getting some coach of the year votes without a doubt right now. Well, William, I know you, you need to go. We appreciate your insight tonight, as always, on BAMS Radio. We look forward to hearing from you next week after the Tennessee hopeful 14th straight win for Alabama over the balls. But have a great rest of your evening, sir, and we appreciate it. Uh, y'all too, guys. I'll be available for the full time next week. Yes, sir. No problem. And and uh, now I'm going to bring in my compatriot who can now bask in some glory because he nailed it. Uh, Thomas the Wizard Watts is now with us uh, on BAMS Radio tonight. Thomas, uh, I know you had to get a lot of satisfaction after after watching Kirby freeze, I mean smart, and the rest of the Georgia Bulldogs get their teeth literally kicked in in the second half. It was, you said it at the open, Drew, it was old school murder ball. And frankly, I think the storyline should be coming out of this game more than anything that Alabama as a football team, not just as an offense, but as a football team, really developed an identity. And to me, that identity is the offense is going to stay so efficient against pretty much anything. You know, we talked about this a lot about how Georgia's defense by most metrics, was at worst top five in the country. It's going to be the best defense Alabama sees up until the playoff, and you know I don't want to go that far and talk about that yet. And Alabama was able to really beat the defense up. They blew the top off with regularity, and they were fairly efficient most downs. I mean, it was, never, it was very, very rare that Alabama had a three and out, and they did it in multiple ways. But – Really, the, 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 the identity to me is coalescing around that notion where the offense is going to put so much pressure 
on the opposing offense to keep up that every little mistake is amplified to the nth degree. And you only need to look at that second half to get a feel for it. You know, you have to give Georgia a lot of credit. They, uh, they come out, they're up 24-20 after that crazy field goal, and the defense, both defenses stiffen up, and then Alabama cracks that 90-yard touchdown pass. And it's like Georgia just forgets what they were doing in their game plan. They try and answer, and that second interception by Malachi Moore was actually just a tip, and, you know, that happens. That's how it goes. But unfortunately, that was your key mistake. The second that Georgia got down by 10 points, they had to start pressing, and that's when Alabama's going to come kill you. You know, Stetson Bennett, I said it last week, I'll say it again, there was no way in hell that a five foot ten noodle-armed walk-on is going to throw Georgia past Alabama. And that's exactly what happened. So my, my proposal for the fan base, very humbly propose, that the notion that defense leads offense is antiquated, and this kind of crystallized it to me. Complementary football is now offense putting pressure on the defense and the defense being in position to make the big plays when the opposing offense starts pressing through. But it was a great win. It was a great game to watch. It was, and I wanted to talk to you about Mac Jones, who I'll re- repeat, you know, I think he's been undervalued the whole summer. Uh, I thought he showed me a lot. I couldn't believe there were fans at halftime saying that he hadn't played that well when he was 15 out of 22 for 224 yards, uh, you know, and two touchdowns. And what I thought was not even an interception. I thought it was a drop, uh, you know, a ball that hit the ground. It was a drop. Uh, Great effort by Richard McCown, and he sold it, but I really didn't think it was an INT. And, you know, again, Mac took some shots in that half, but I still thought he played really, really well. Uh, and, you know, I thought he proved himself against Georgia. I thought they had confidence going into halftime. It certainly wasn't his fault uh, that Dylan Moses couldn't find the right gap and that Alabama was struggling a little bit with their run defense. And I think, you know, uh, and we'll talk about it in a second, they were without Jordan Battle. And I really thought Battle helped settle down that back end in the second half and settle down the defense. But uh, I just, but first of all, to go back to the original point, I just want to get your thoughts on Mac Jones. I thought he played at a very high level. I mean, Thomas, three straight 400-yard passing games. I understand Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one pick in this draft, and I understand that Clemson's the number one team in the country, but Mac Jones, to me, has been the biggest surprise in, a, in the country in college football. I'll give you the, the biggest surprise. I will push back on the notion that Clemson is the number one team if only because you put the two resumes near each other and through, I think this is week seven of the college football season, and it's actually week four, for end of week four for Alabama, no other team in the country has two top ten wins, period. But, you know, that we, we'll, we'll talk, we'll talk, that'll all work itself out. But going back to Mac Jones, so what I saw with Mac Jones, particularly in the first quarter and a half, is a quarterback that had a little bit of happy feet because he got clocked a couple of times. And his wide receivers, in a couple of cases, didn't help him out. There were a couple of drops, and drops happen. Like, they're just part of the game. I'm not saying, oh, you know, the two wide receivers, you know, Jalen Waddell had a, had a kind of an awkward catch that, w- that probably should have been a catch, a drop that should have been a catch, excuse me. And that adversely affected the offensive efficiencies for a little while. But what I think 
we, you, the, 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 the second layer to your point is this, Drew. Even as Mac Jones had a little bit of happy feet and was a little unsettled through the first quarter, quarter and a half, what happened, particularly on the drive to tie the game up 17-17? There were seven or eight straight passes. Steve Sarkeesian sa- essentially said, son, you are you're still the straw that stirs the drink. You've got to distribute this ball. You've got to run the offense in a balanced, efficient manner. And we are going to throw you out of whatever this nonsense is. It was like a basketball guy. You just let them shoot, and they'll heat up. And once Mac Jones heated up, it was game over for Georgia. I think Mac Jones deserves to be squarely in the Heisman conversation. He is far and away, by efficiency metrics, the best quarterback in college right now. And if Mac Jones continues to pile up these kind of stats, yeah, he'll be in New York. And, yeah, the biggest, ta- the biggest hype of the year is – hyper-efficient Trevor Lawrence versus hyper-efficient Mac Jones for all the marbles. But again, Drew, long way to go before we get to that point. Yeah, there is a long way to go. I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, you're, you're, you're right about that. You just have to, uh, you know, keep your eyes on the prize. That's kind of what William and I were, being, were talking about. Uh, but I'm going to tell you what, I mean, it's, it's still – uh, pretty amazing. Like some of these stats, I'm going to read you right now for Alabama offensively after this 4-0 start. And this is nationally, Thomas Watt. Alabama football offense, second in scoring offense uh, nationally, fifth in total offense, second in passing offense, fourth in first downs, first in third down conversion percentage, tie for first in scrimmage plays of 80-plus yards, first in yards per play, first in yards per attempt, first in passer rating, and second in completion percentage. That's pretty good. That'll, that'll win you a lot of football games. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's – and, and that really is the problem, and that's what I was talking about with how the identity, the, the offensive pressure identity, it's, it's very similar to what Alabama had last year with Tua Tonga-Vailoa. Uh, Alabama does attack slightly differently than with Tua, but it's still effective. And – that, that's really like where we're going with that is exactly stuff like that. This is not an offense you can hold down. Nobody is going to be able to do it, and they're going to be able to put points on the board. And now we're looking at a situation where instead of, well, can you score 35? Well, Alabama just put up 41 on Georgia, and I don't think Alabama is going to see a more talented defense. Maybe Clemson, maybe Ohio State. Long way to go before we get there. But it turns into, can your offense score 40 or 45 points? Because that's what Alabama's going to get. Alabama's going to get theirs. Because even going down at half, Drew, you mentioned it, Mac Jones had 224 passing yards in the first half last night. I mean, come on, guys. What more can you ask for from a quarterback? So it's, it's just unbelievable. It's a completely different way for Alabama to approach football. But it's effective. I don't like it because I'm a defensive guy. I, I, I have to give Georgia a lot of credit. They played decent defense. They have a lot of athletes, and they know what they're doing. But elite offense beats elite defense, and until there are serious rule changes, Alabama's formula is the best formula in college football. Well, it is, and, and I'm, I'm just going to give you some stats from Mac Jones. This is, and, and, I, and I'll say this. This shows you how much football has changed, Thomas. I can't. I, I haven't pulled them up, but I can remember them. You know, pretty pretty vividly, at least from a yardage standpoint. Mac Jones 
through four games is 90 for 115, 1,518 yards, 78.3 completion percentage, averaging over 13 yards per attempt with 12 touchdowns and two INTs. And, I mean, that's an unbelievable start. His rating is 220 right now. And the reason I say this is Jay Barker won the Johnny Unitas Award as the top senior quarterback in the country, uh, you know, when he was in his final year in 1994 for the Crimson Tide, and he threw for just under 2,000 yards. That's unbelievable. And Yeah, that, if, yeah if, it just shows you, yeah. Well, you know, pro-rate Mac Jones's stats over a normal 14-game 14 14 season, I mean, he's going to get – if if it was a normal 14 or 15-game season, should Alabama make the national championship, He's sniffing 4,500 to 5,000 yards, which is just unbelievable. You're having, it's a, you're having a great season in the NFL if you can do that in 16 games, let alone 14 or 15. So, yeah, I mean, Mac Jones has been sublime. The entire offense has been sublime, Drew. I, I, you know, as good as Mac Jones has been, I, I'm not sure that Najee Harris is getting enough credit for how good he's been or how good the offensive line has been. That's really what makes Alabama so dangerous. They can block you into the dirt. They can pass block you for a year. And you're not going to be able to control all these weapons the entire time. And, again, eventually, Alabama's going to get to their 35, 40, 45 points, and you have to go out there and match it. And, you know, one of the storylines, I think Jesse Palmer on ESPN said, a turnover against Alabama is a 14-point swing. And lo and behold, it happened to Georgia twice. 14 points. It ended up being a 28-point swing. So, you know, that's 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 all you need to know about the Alabama offense. It really is. And Najee Harris, you've mentioned him, 83 rushes, 499 yards, six yards per carry, and 11 touchdowns. Uh, remarkable year for him. Some more remarkable stats, Thomas. Uh, these were just – I have to shake my head. Jalen Waddell's stats in four games. 25 catches for 557 yards, 22.3 yards per reception with a long of 90 that we saw last night uh, because the great Tyson Campbell is still with his – got his uh, face mask in the dirt uh, watching Jalen Waddle's ass run into the end zone. But four touchdowns for Waddle. And then Devontae Smith, 38 catches, 483 yards, and 12.7 yards for – catch 36 along for Devonte. four touchdowns for him Devontae's just steady eddie such a clutch guy you go to him in the red zone he's gonna get open but jalen waddle his explosiveness is just otherworldly well and i'm gonna throw some praise on Devontae smith alabama ran a lot of long developing like comeback routes and it was highlighted in the broadcast last night and it deserves to be highlighted again Devontae Smith attacks those. Like, he doesn't let the ball get to him. And what does that mean for fans that are a little bit confused? If Devontae Smith doesn't attack the ball, and I mean come back and literally run to the catch in several, in several, on several occasions, the Georgia DB breaks it up. And at least two of those catches that I can remember off the top of my head were third down conversions. So you flip one or two of those, and suddenly Alabama's not – you know, burying Georgia because Alabama ran 76 plays last night. You know, that's a lot of plays against a physical offense. And that's what Alabama was. So, you know, Devontae Smith had a whale of a game. And, you know, Jalen Waddell, 
just throw it up really far. I'll go catch it. You know, that that's really that that the scheme behind that ninety yard touchdown was excellent. And then, you know, if if you draw number seventeen, just turn your hips and start running because that's the only chance you have. And it's not like Tyson Campbell is just you know the nacho guy. That's a five star guy that just got absolutely styled on. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, and you know, Jalen Waddle. It was so funny. You know, Alabama was still down 24 to 20, uh, you know, it, it, you know, at the time. And I turned up uh, the host of the party and I said, you know what I'd really like to see? I'd like to see them hit Jalen Waddle deep and I'll be damned if uh, they didn't uh, take that shot. And it was a great play design for the listeners. Why don't you talk about that scheme and what you saw and and what what Sark drew up to get him open? OK, so. This, this was also on the broadcast, so you might want to actually use the teleprompter to, to go over what I'm saying. But Alabama started uh, three wide receivers to the left side of the formation. They brought Devontae Smith over to the right. Uh, that let them know that there was either a pattern matching zone or a man or, or, a, stra- or a straight man. And that, that essentially what turns it into a two-on-two. And since Georgia likes to pattern match, the wide receiver, the corners essentially had to say, I go here, you go here, and who's got deep? And the stack let Jalen Waddle get a free release. You know, Georgia loves, Georgia's like Alabama. They want to get the hands on you. But if you start off the line of scrimmage, uh, corners can't jam. So Jalen Waddle gets a good release. And literally, so Waddle beat Tyson Campbell within three or four yards of the line of scrimmage. Because Waddle's going flat out, and Tyson Campbell is either doing his three-step shuffle, which Kirby learned from Nick, or he's in the middle of his backpedal. You're not going to catch Jalen Waddle if you're still backpedaling and trying to open your hips up to catch him. So the only thing that really – the only problem with that play – and there's no problem when you get a 90-yard touchdown. Don't get me wrong, Drew. But the only concern with that play is – it's a fairly long developing play. Yes, Mac Jones can put air under the ball, but Jalen Waddle needs a few seconds to get past Tyson Campbell and get open or get to where Mac Jones wants to throw it. So protection has to hold up. The quiet part of that play is that Mac Jones gets absolutely nailed as he's going through his follow through. Still throws a perfect ball and 90 yard touchdown later the game was essentially over because Alabama had the lead, they had momentum, and they weren't going to give it back up. But, yeah, just overall, what Sarkeesian's doing is he is figuring out ways to play to all of his offensive players' strengths. You know, he's using Najee Harris wheel routes as misdirection plays, which is hilarious to think about. But you do that because Najee Harris, over the past two years, has proven he is one of the best wheel route guys in college football. He's got that. He's got Jalen Waddle's breakaway speed. Go run to deep post. Oh, we'll get it to you. Oh, you're you're, you're not you're not sure you can stand up to a, a cornerback that wants to get physical. We'll we'll bunch you up and stack you and run that. Oh, they're you know they're playing like a three deep cover three shell or something crazy like that. Okay, we'll just throw a pop screen to you and you can get a first down. The a lot of fans, and I've been asked this, Drew, and I want to comment on it. A lot of fans are saying Mac Jones is better than Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And the short answer is no. Tua Tonga-Vailoa has, and is just a fantastic top five quarterback.
But what Matt Jones is in comparison to Tua is the perfect evolution of Steve Sarkeesian's offense with elite personnel. Mac Jones is a better trigger man in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. Tua Tonga-Vailoa is a better quarterback than Mac Jones is. Yeah, it's a very interesting uh, analogy to make. I mean, it does seem like, uh, you know, uh, what Mac Jones is doing, it's, it's hearkening back to all those USC machines uh, that, they, that they would put together, and Sark was so good. He is a great quarterback whisperer. I think that's why it's so important to hopefully keep Sark one more year at least to tutor Bryce Young because if this keeps up, I think we all know Mac Jones is headed to the NFL. Though I did ask a respected talent evaluator uh, this past week on my show, Mike Detillier, where Mac Jones would stand right now because it's still early. He said mid-round pick, but he said, as he said, you know, in that New Orleans accent, he goes, well, drill. He goes, but this time last year, Joe was a first was a mid first uh, or a mid uh, round pick. Joe Burrow being, and he was a mid round pick, and nobody had him going first overall. Now I'm not saying that's what's going to happen with Mac, but if he keeps putting up these video game stats, and if Alabama could win a championship, I do think Mac Jones could get into first round consideration because it's such a quarterback driven league, or at least second round, you know, at the worst. And uh, you know, you wouldn't blame him for for going pro. It's a little dangerous because he would have only had one full year as a starter, but he's just, you know, showcasing big-time talent, and you're really happy for him because of the way he waited and was so patient. Uh, but, but I wanted to switch gears and talk about the defense, Thomas, in our last few minutes. Uh, they struggled in the first half. I was a little frustrated by the run defense at times. Dylan Moses, to me, uh, was not playing instinctive football. He was running himself out of plays almost guessing, taking the wrong gaps in the run. He reminded me a lot of Mac Wilson of a couple of years ago when he became an every-down linebacker. Mac had been a very good sub player, very good in coverage, uh, you know, coverage backer, especially on third downs. He could rush the passer every now and then, too. And, you know, but with, with Dylan Moses, to me, he, he's, a, he's a, a guy that's fast. He's a great athlete, but I'm not sure how instinctive he is. I think he's a natural pass rusher on third down, but he's really being exploited uh, at times in, in pass coverage, especially. And Christian Harris got, you know, torched that one time. What are your thoughts, uh, you know, defensively? And, and uh, how big was it in your mind to get number nine Jordan Battle back in the second half to settle things down? Well, uh, Jordan Battle by year end will be one of those, you know, we didn't talk a lot about him, but wow, he's played really some really good football for Alabama kind of players. You know, he's not going to be Minka Fitzpatrick where he's, you know, the God King, essentially the day he steps on the football field. But he's a good player. In terms of the Alabama defense, Drew, I think the defense deserves a lot of credit for being opportunistic, particularly in the second half. Uh, and again, going back to complimentary football, the defense, if you can get, if, if the offense scores enough to where the defense, the, where the defense can play a little more, we have to take away the pass and just clog the hell out of zones and rush. That's where Alabama's defense it really sets itself apart. But until Dylan Moses and Daniel Wright shore up the middle of the defense, particularly on running plays, this defense is going to raise hair on the back of people's necks. 
if Stetson Bennett doesn't throw that second interception that Malachi Moore gets and Georgia scores there and they don't have to get outside of their game plan, it would have been it would it would have been a very different football game because Georgia hadn't been out of their game plan. They could run the ball. They were running the ball pretty well. So what Alabama's defense to me I need to see is the light continue to come on for Dylan Moses and Daniel Wright. And, you know, as said before, this is really the first time that Dylan Moses has been the field general, and he's coming off a major knee injury. Daniel Wright, he's still – that was his fourth start. And he, again, to his credit, did get another interception. But he really struggles taking proper angles and with any sort of, you know, second-level run fit if he comes down into the box. So that's that, those are some of the real hard points that the Alabama defense has to get better at. And the next time Alabama covers a wheel route properly or covers <laughs> a tight end properly will be the first this year. Like, it's it's maddening because you know it's coming and it's not going to work. Now, if you want to talk about stuff that I saw that I really liked, I think Will Anderson is getting better by the game. Uh, he It will not take him very long before he is converting the pressures into sacks, and that's something that Alabama can key off of. Again, going back to if you this defense is good enough that if it makes you one-dimensional or makes you have to throw, it can cause serious problems. Uh, I think Will Anderson did a good job setting the edge in many cases. But the stars, and I kind of want to move this conversation along, Drew, to me, were Josh Job and Pat Sertain. I mean, absolute rocks on the outside. Josh Job had that sweep. Everybody else but Josh Job got faked out by the, the sweep that Georgia ran. Josh Job was in his spot. He kept outside leverage and turned what could have been a 40-yard gain into a two-yard gain. Uh, Pat Sertain was all over the field last night. And you know how much, how much George Pickens did we really see? We didn't see yeah. a lot of George Pickens. Yeah, that's a great point. I was told by some Georgia fans on Twitter he was going for 200 to 300. Uh, in the game against Alabama, and he's a good player, just like Seth Williams at Auburn. But let let's not misunderstand everything. These both these guys would be the fourth receiver at Alabama. Yes, I'm saying that. I don't think either one of them are as good a fit as John Mechie is. They would both be Irv Smith type red zone threats and guys you'd get the football to. But they're not better than Alabama's top three options. Period. End of story. And quite frankly, both of them are turds, and that's why they're not at Alabama. I mean, Pickens, you know, he's had a good career at Georgia. I wouldn't say it's been an All-American career. And Seth Williams has had moments, but he also acted like a bitch ass yesterday when, uh, when you know, Bo Nix couldn't get in the football and they lost to South Carolina. So, you know, Alabama's had their share of, uh, you know, emotional guys and turds lately. I understand that. But, again, I think wide receiver-wise, they're just fine. Now, I will say this, Thomas, for every play that Monty Rice made yesterday, I threw up a little bit in my mouth because I could see him being Alabama's Mike linebacker and then Dylan being a will, which I think he's better served, you know, served to, and then Christian Harris continuing to learn under Dylan Moses and, of course, play quite a bit himself in a sub role. But, I mean, I'll say this. That's where my, you know – uh, Dander gets up a little bit with Errol Thompson at Mississippi State as well. Henry Toa Toa at Tennessee. Alabama has had some misses at inside linebacker, 
and I think they've got some guys that are still developing. Because you got to understand, Christian Harris is still just a sophomore and play did not play linebacker in high school, and uh, you know, so these guys are still learning. But again, I think Alabama could have had some good players on this defense that could have made a big time impact that they missed on, and 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 of course, there's some defensive linemen I think they would love to have too. Uh, but it, so I think the fans are just going to have to be patient with this defense. I'm not a huge fan of Pete Golding. I know you're not. But, again, uh, football has changed, and you have to adjust as you're thinking. And you made a great point at the start of the, this second half of BAM's radio that it's now really up to the offense to set the tone and put pressure on the defense and for the defense to disrupt. And they did that at times against Georgia. And the thing they especially did was win the turnover battle 3-1. to one. Absolutely on the turnover battle, Drew. And, yeah, the, uh, this has been uh, the next – this past week, Georgia, next week, Tennessee, and then Mississippi State will be hell on earth when it comes to recruiting misses. And, like, I'm not a Pete Golding apologist. Um, I, I really there, – there are some things that Alabama has consistently struggled with in his tenure that – or during his tenure that – I just don't – it doesn't make sense to me. It's like you know this is coming. Is it, is it a deficiency in your defense? Are you trying to take care of something else? I, I just it, – it, I, haven't, I haven't been given an explanation when it comes to running back leaks and trouble with tight ends that, that sticks with me, and I'm like, oh, I'll buy that. I just haven't. I'm sorry because that is generally the province of the linebacking group to take a lot of that burden. And it's been a struggle point. But, yeah, this has been a nightmare. The next couple of weeks will be a nightmare in terms of recruiting misses. And the defensive lineman thing is really interesting, Drew. And you mentioned, you mentioned um, some, some, let's just call them folks that have struggled at Alabama. How different would this defense be? Because you remember, Yabe and Oma was supposed to be around. Uh, yeah. Al- Antonio Alfano was supposed to be around. And for all of their headaches and all of their character flaws – those guys, when they were at Alabama, were making noise. And, you know, it's unfortunate. You wish it, you, you hate to see it. You can't, but you can't cry over spilled milk. It's just there's the only thing that really will, that bugs me is the middle linebacker misses. Uh, the Henry Toa Toa one was a really unfortunate situation because of Tosh Lupoi moving on. I think Alabama had him and then they didn't. But, you know, at this point, it is what it is, and it's just here's the hope, and it's it's and I think in a lot of ways it's a fool's hope. Fans should hope that the light comes on for Dylan Moses just through repetition, and he gets more confident in his athletic ability. I'm not sure that's going to happen. The one spot that I think could help with reps is Daniel Wright, because Daniel Wright hadn't played a ton of football at his position particularly in a starting role, learning prep, doing all that stuff. I think that could improve. But, you know, the other thing that we slammed Drew is what well, was, I know I was all over the defensive line. And for all of Stetson Bennett only being 5'8", I don't, I, if he's 5'11", then I'm definitely 6'5", but, you know, whatever. The defensive line, they were able to mush rush, but at the same time they got their hands up. And those deflections were key to disrupting the Georgia offense. So I thought the defensive line played a better game. 
Uh, Christian Barmore needs to learn to hold his water a little bit better, but I understand the effort play there, even though you're kind of just want to slap your, you know, your face palm. But, you know, overall, again, the recruiting misses are going to stink. And I think the defense, for me, the defense's ceiling is lower than it's been over the past few years. You know, let's call it, let's call it lower than the Pruitt years for sure. And then it's kind of a toss up over the past two versus this one. But, the question to me, and this is still an open question, Drew, is, is the defense good enough to get there? And that's something we'll learn over the back half of the season as Alabama gets more repetitions and is able to have some solid success against some good teams. Well, yeah, it is. And, and Thomas, last few minutes, uh, uh, we, I, I know we were, we were remiss. We didn't get Williams' prediction. Uh, that, that's uh, my apologies to the audience for that. I'm sure he would have picked Alabama big. As a matter of fact, he did say he thought it could get ugly. Alabama, as we said earlier, a 17-point favorite right now over the Vols. They were shellacked 34-7 to for the first time since 1984, losing in Neyland Stadium to the Kentucky Wildcats. And no, we're not talking about basketball. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on this Alabama-Tennessee matchup, and, and how do you think it, you see it playing out? With me, I'll go ahead and give my prediction. Jared Garantano has never impressed me. Certainly, I know he's capable in one game of putting up some numbers. He's he put up together a good half, and they were leading Georgia. But I think right now, uh, if I look at this matchup and the way Alabama's playing offensively, hopefully defensively going to continue to take some steps. They've got to contain Eric Gray. And once again, I think that the threshold is probably 120, 130 yards rushing uh, for Tennessee. But I still see this being another, you know, shellacking and kneeling for Alabama. I'm probably more along the lines of a 45-17 type score for the Tide to more than cover the spread, I think Alabama's going to win this game going away for their 14th straight win over Rocky Top. But your thoughts on the uh, matchup, I just don't see Tennessee's better defensively, but I still see it being a huge mismatch against Alabama. Well, okay. I want to hold that thought, and I want to talk about Kentucky real quick. And I'm going to launch, the, I'm going to launch a hot take cannon with this. But Kentucky is the second best team in the SEC East. Wow. They absolutely mauled Mississippi State. I mean, that was that was brutal. Now, the Kentucky offense, also brutal. But <laughs> the thing about, the, about Kentucky is they lost a fluky game against Ole Miss where they ran for 400 yards. And on, luckily, Barry Odom has now given everybody the defensive blueprint for that. Kentucky probably should have beaten Auburn. That score was a lot closer. The, the game was a lot closer than the score suggests. There were some fluky plays there. I think Kentucky should be 4-0 and or 3-1, and frankly. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think, I think they're a really good team. I think that Stoops is getting a ton out of them, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. It'll be interesting to see how attrition, the season, does stuff with them. But, yeah, Kentucky-Florida is going to be really fun. And, you know, with Florida's coronavirus stuff, who knows when we're going to see Florida again. But, anyway, back to the Tennessee game. The thing with this game – there, there are some positives and there are some negatives. So let's let's do the negatives first, and I'll close on a high note. Alabama just went through a physical 15-round fight, as Nick Saban said. And Tennessee is going to want to do something very similar to what Georgia did in terms of how Tennessee chooses to attack an opposing defense. Jim Chaney is the former offensive coordinator at Georgia. He's running 
a variation of the thing we've seen at Georgia for several years. Yes, Todd Munkin's changed it a little, but anyway, it's essentially Alabama's playing the Georgia offense a game. And Alabama just did a pretty good job, not spectacular, but a pretty good job shutting them down. So I think that bodes well for Alabama. The thing about it is I'm very concerned that this is the Mississippi State of yesteryear, as you've said before. I do think Alabama is going to come out and be a little flat because if you saw that tweet where the Alabama football program put out the players jumping around and Nick Saban dancing, it's yeah. very obvious that Alabama put a lot, a lot into the Georgia game. So I think they're going to be a little bit flat. But what, and, and I think that's why I actually I ran – I thought the spread was a bait. I ran away from it when I saw it. But let's talk about the positives. Tennessee doesn't it does I don't think their lines as good as Georgia's and Alabama did a decent if not spectacular job of handling the Georgia front uh, on both sides of the ball like, and that that's again if I've said it once I said it a thousand times Alabama won't see a better front seven outside of the college football playoff than what they just beat period end of story I, as good as much as I would love Henry Toa Toa to be in crimson I, so what you know that that that's just one guy so Alabama can match up well offensively. I think they can match up pretty well defensively. But the X factor here is the emotion and the hangover. And because of that – oh, and the other part of it is, as you said, which Jarrett Garantano are we going to get? If we get first-half Georgia Jarrett Garantano, I, I, I liken it to the old commercial. I'm first-half Jarrett Garantano, and I have direct TV. <laughs> and then, then it's like, well, I'm second-half Jarrett Garantano, and I have an antenna. Because good Jarrett Garantano can win some SEC football games. Bad Jarrett Garantano will – well, put it to you this way, Drew. If bad Jarrett Garantano shows up, you saw what Clemson did to Georgia Tech, right? Yes. Alabama could do that to Tennessee if bad Jarrett Garantano shows up. Oh, wow. I mean, Jarrett, bad Jarrett Garantano, like, should not be offered a scholarship as a college quarterback. He's that bad. But <laughs> it's – to me, I think you're going to see Tennessee play their best game. It is their Super Bowl, and there's a lot of crossover between Jeremy Pruitt and his staff and Nick Saban and his bunch of former Bama guys. They're going to put everything they can into this game. I mean, you could even argue that they were trying, they were looking ahead to Alabama against Kentucky, and Kentucky punched them in the mouth. But the thing for me, Drew, my prediction is Alabama is not going to cover, and it's going to be 45-34. Closer oh, wow. than the experts predict. Mm. That would be concerning to me only because I've never been a big believer in Garantano, and that would mean that he had an outstanding game uh, if he was able to keep Tennessee in the game uh, scoring that many points. I'm hoping that Alabama will have a better defensive performance, turn over the balls three or four times, uh, and then control the football, even though I, I'm certainly not expecting a shutout. I think Tennessee will score some with that running game, but – Hope I'm hoping Alabama and their secondary will play better football against the Vols, who I don't think have a great receiving core either. So we will see, uh, but certainly, and, and, and uh, just, uh, just you one know, more thing. Sorry. Yeah. No. If problem. Garantano, if if the if Alabama defense can turn Garantano over twice, this will go. This will this will get ugly quick. Right. My assumption is Alabama will come out flat. Tennessee will have some early success. 
they'll start believing, they'll start playing up to their potential because, again, the Tennessee offensive line has a bunch of former five-star players. You know, Trey Hill's going to get drafted. Uh, Cade Mays is going to get drafted. So you've, you've got all kinds of skill on the offensive line, and if Tennessee can have a little success and they start believing, we could have a problem. I think that's what's going to happen because Alabama comes out flat. But if we look up after, you know, first quarter and it's Alabama 17 nothing or 17-7 or 17-3, Alabama's just going to turn on the afterburners, and you're, you're done. I don't think that I, that that's that is the premise from what I'm saying. Look at the score that Alabama has against Tennessee in the first quarter. If it's seven seven or ten seven, whoever's ahead, we have a ball game. If Alabama's up seventeen seven, seventeen three, seventeen nothing, you know, pick your score. You know, pick your score. Alabama's been able to have offensive success. It's game over because I think Tennessee will quit if they start taking. Because frankly, they quit against Kentucky, which is insane. Yeah, they did, and uh, I was just going to say, as we're uh, wrapping up this edition of uh, FAMS Radio, we want to continue to thank everyone for supporting us and listening to the show, and we have Tua Tungvaloa had his first action tonight while we were recording this, Thomas. Uh, the Miami Dolphins reached 3-3 three and three against the hapless and pathetic New York Jets, who followed to 0-6, 24-0, the Miami Dolphins win. Tua Tungvaloa gets in in the fourth quarter, two for two, nine yards, uh, in just limited action for Tua. But you know how he's uh, such a, a retrospective, an introspective person. Uh, you know, he's a great kid and just someone that everybody, I think, roots for. He's just a magnetic personality. But uh, it's he's uh, right now sitting uh, on the turf uh, in, in, in Miami, uh, after the game, he came back out in full uniform after the game was over and is sitting on about the 15-yard line, just sort of taking it all in because, Thomas, it's been almost a full year, not quite. I think it would be have to be on November the 14th. But since he's come back from this you know, horrific hip injury against Mississippi State to now play in his first NFL game, uh, so you got to give him a lot of credit. Remember, there was no preseason. So congrats to Tua for finally getting some action. Uh, I, I think he'll be the starter sooner rather than later for the Dolphins. It may take till next year, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he got some starts by the end of the season once Miami is completely out of playoff contention. But, again, got to give Tua a lot of credit. I expect him to have a long and, and prosperous pro career with a chance, if he's healthy, to be a Hall of Famer. But uh, just really happy for him, and we all know what he's overcome. Certainly. And I had been kind of perusing Twitter as we were going back and forth. And we'll see on Tua. Uh, I, th- I really like what Brian Flores is building down in Miami. I think they're on a good path. And the, one, of, one of the best parts about Miami is that Tom Brady is no longer in New England. So that division gets get, – has you have a prayer in that division now. So that's, that's the kind of thing that if you can get a little bit of success, you can build on that. And I don't think the Dolphins are that bad a team. I think they were absolutely tanking for Tua last year, but I think Flores has figured it out, and they're in, they're going in the right direction. They're not there yet. They need a few more pieces. They also could use Tua and get fully healthy and develop, but also they need to find a running back because they're running things. Uh, I'm a big fantasy football guy, and I have I would never touch a Dolphins running back. But anyway, Drew, I'm sorry. 
you got to be happy for the young man, and uh, you got to be happy for his ba his backup at Alabama, Mac Jones, taking the steps forward he is. I mean, overall, Drew, let's just be honest. This was a really good weekend of football all the way around, and it's something to be thankful for. Could I could I dream and just hope that the Dolphins would draft Jalen Waddle in the first round and Najee Harris in the second? Uh, Parker, I think it's Devontae Parker and Jalen Waddle would be evil. Um, I'm, I'm okay with it as a, as a totally biased Alabama fan. I, you know, Drew, you, it's funny you bring this point up. I'm not sure Jay, uh, Najee Harris is going to make it to the second round if he keeps doing what he's doing so far. I mean, he is, he is by turning, by taking advantage of his receiving talent, as well as running hard constantly against all comers, and that's going to up his value. A lot of people don't believe in first-round running backs, but you could certainly see a team that you know makes the AFC or the NFC Championship game or the Super Bowl thinking that they're, you know, let's run it back one more time and we need one offensive piece taking Najee Harris at the end of the first round. I could see that very, very easily. Yes, no doubt. Well, you know, everybody, we hope you enjoyed BAM's radio tonight. We're kind of basking in the glory of Alabama 41. Kirby Freeze, I mean Smart, uh, 24, and yet another ass-whipping as uh, the Georgia Bulldogs go home. They're still in it, though. Uh, certainly we could see Alabama and Georgia in a rematch in the SEC championship game that would shock no one. Uh, and I wouldn't be shocked if we see JT Daniels soon at quarterback. Many believe that could transform their team. So they're still in the playoff hunt, no doubt. But it was fun beating Kirby Smart for the third straight time. And, of course, all the Georgia fans who had basically claimed an unbeaten national championship in August looking like idiots again and getting closer and closer to hopefully being able to say 40 years with nothing and Herschel Walker DVDs and VHS tapes is all you've got. We certainly enjoyed that whipping. Now we're on again uh, to Tennessee, hoping for – and expecting a 14th straight win, but we understand Jeremy Pruitt should have his team back up, and they will. it could be a formidable challenge, but hopefully Alabama will be up to that, stay focused, and continue to stay healthy, and continue to roll and get to 5-0. and And we'll certainly bring you the reaction next week on BAMS Radio for William Redfish Barger, for Thomas Watts, the Wizard, myself, Drew Armand. Good night, everybody. Thank you for listening to BAMS Radio, and roll tide.